This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Our guest today is Andrew Davidson, and he's the head of Andrew Davidson Company, which is a risk analytics company, uh, and they do consulting services around residential mortgages and mortgage-backed securities. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, we want to talk about the state of play with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are the two huge government agencies uh, that uh, help to securitize mortgages um, and uh, pass them on into, into the market. So they provide liquidity for residential mortgages, um, and a huge percentage of U.S. residential mortgages uh, pass through those two entities at some point. Uh, they blew up in 2008, along with a lot of mortgage-related things. Um, uh, the government bailed them out. As I understand it, most of that bailout has been repaid or more than repaid. Uh, but nevertheless, it was almost uh, $200 billion involved. And of course, there's a lot of interest in preventing that from happening again. And so um, while they were taken over, the thought was always that, well, they were quasi-owned uh, or quasi-run government entities before. They had a government charter, but really they were run as, a, as private companies. But when they blew up, the government had to come in and take over. Uh, and the idea has been that someday that would get reversed. And there's been lots of plans put forth, and none of them have seemed to have worked out. Um, and we may be getting to a point, there's a couple of new papers out by folks like Mark Zandi, who's with uh, Moody's Analytics, who you were just uh, involved in a seminar with, so you would, you, you'll be fresher on this topic. <laughs> right. And I understand you have a new paper coming out. And I think what might be different about these papers is that there's starting to be a realization that maybe these entities can't be run uh, as, as private companies, and maybe the government really needs to be involved. And I'll let you take it from there. Sure. So, uh, you know, in 2008, when these entities were shut down, Secretary Paulson at the time said there should be a timeout. And I think now the timeouts seems like the game instead of the timeout. But, uh, you know, and he was sort of hoping that people could reexamine how these entities were run and say, you know, how do we make some adjustments? Um, so we went through a process after that where different people had, you know, a wide range of proposals um, on how to change Fannie and Freddie, uh, some to make them more private, some to make them closer to the government. Um, but sort of none of these proposals really sort of could capture sort of a large percentage of Congress, you know, supporting them. Um, in the meantime, uh, the regulator of Fannie and Freddie, FHFA, um, has actually made a number of changes to these organizations. And uh, I think some people are starting to realize that the changes that have been occurring are maybe GSE reform and that this is sort of a path way forward is to look at what's happened already and say, you know, can we do something to continue to change the entities rather than throw them out and start all over? Because that been, that's been one of the suggestions, like they're irretrievable. We just have to start from the ground up. Yeah. I think if you look at almost any of the proposals from 2008 through last year, they all started with either wind down the GSEs <laughs> or shut down the GSEs or eliminate the GSEs. And I think this sort of new round of proposals, the Zandi proposal, as well as my proposal, say, let's start with what we have and how do we take what we have now and turn it to what we want. So there's some fresh thinking around this. I think it's worth pointing out that GSE, government-sponsored entity, which Fannie and Freddie are or were, it, it's, it, it is this quasi, it is, is this hybrid thing. So even back before 2008, 
before the financial crisis, although they were considered private companies, most people thought, yeah, but if they get in trouble, we all kind of know the government's going to bail them out. Other people would say, no, 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 they're private. They're, you know, the shareholders will take the hit. But when push came to shove and, and things were collapsing, not just them, but so much of the financial system, um, the government did come to the rescue. So those who thought that would happen ended up being correct. So it's not that much of a stretch to say now, I mean, is it really so different what you're talking about from the way things were run for probably decades? So I think Think, think about it is that the shareholders actually did lose, you know, almost all their money or all their money, depending on how litigation comes out. So the government did not rescue the shareholders. But what the government did do is step in and protect the bondholders. So those people who were investing in the mortgage-backed securities. In the secondary or markets. The, the, right. Or the debt of these, of these entities. And I think almost everyone thought that the government would step in okay. on that. So um, the rating agencies for a long time have said that, you know, due to government sponsorship, we view the debt instruments of Fannie and Freddie to be of the highest credit quality. And based on the capital that those entities had, there's no way that they would have thought that otherwise. So, so I think you have to sort of separate out the equity investors from the bond investors. Okay, fair and, enough. Uh, so one of the important things in GSE reform is to just be explicit about that rather than sort of have a wink relationship. Sort of a fudging going on. on. Said, um, oh, you know, no, we don't guarantee any of those assets. You know, it's in big, bold letters on the front page of the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac bonds. These are not government guaranteed bonds. But, you know, privately saying, oh, sure, you know, we're and, not going to let those fail. And the, rea the rates were set in a way that reflected what would happen if they were guaranteed Correct? Exactly right. These, yeah. So the these market said they're really, yes, they're really guaranteed. And so rather than live in that world, why not live in a world where you say yes, the government will guarantee certain instruments created by these entities because we recognize that in order to have a giant real estate market and housing market like we do in the United States, we like to have a thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage, and a thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage functions much better with a government guarantee than without one. And so if you believe that, then you say we need the guarantee. And so let's start from the idea that we will have a guarantee and it will be explicit, but we still have to figure out who the entities are that are going to create these loans. Which is kind of where your paper probably starts. So tell us the title of your paper and where, where people can find it and then tell us what's in it, please. So the paper, I don't think it's up yet, but it'll be on the uh, Urban Institute website. Mm -hmm. um, it'll also be on our website at my company, Andrew Davidson & Company, ad-co.com. Uh, the paper is called, uh, I believe... Uh, Four steps forward, and the four steps are to streamline, share risk, wrap, and mutualize. So by streamline, it says let's make these entities smaller than they are now. By share risk, it says that we don't actually have to put all of the capital for bearing credit risk into these two entities, that they've actually started to sell off their credit risk through these what credit risk sharing trans transactions, which are basically ways where Fannie and Freddie buy insurance from the market. And then they're also buying some insurance from uh, reinsurers and maybe some insurance from the mortgage insurance industry. And so that program is now $30 billion or so of money that actually now stands in front of the taxpayers if there's credit losses on Fannie and Freddie mortgages. Uh, so that program should be expanded. Uh, the third step is wrap, and that's what we were talking about before, which is there needs to be an explicit government wrap, and that wrap has to be structured in such a way that the government only is liable if there's catastrophic losses. So you have to have very bad 
performance in both the housing market and unemployment before the government would need to pay something. But the government will know that's right. when they've got to put the money but in. But that government is taxpayers, <laughs> taxpayer bailouts, right? Right. But the, so, you know, I don't know if I'd consider it taxpayer bailouts. So the government would be running an insurance program. It's going to be collecting premiums for that. You know, when the FDIC makes good on deposit insurance, we don't call that a bailout. Um, when they make good on saving a company, maybe that should have failed. Maybe that's a bailout. But, you know, it's an insurance program and they're paying the money, you know, that they've been earning premiums so on. So they're creating a reserve that will that will cover a certain percentage so, up front. Okay. But you're saying beyond that, if there's something catastrophic, there's the reserve only goes up to a, a certain right. percentage, correct? So the reserve is only going to cover, you know, so much losses. Right. But you know, and then the government can either recover or not recover that afterwards. But the point is to structure that so it's much further out on the probability cu curve, you know, than we stand now with this current implicit guarantee. So most people are talking about Fannie and Freddie, you know, having either capital or reinsurance that covers, you know, four to five percent of losses. Right. Versus before they only needed to hold forty-five basis points or less than half a percent of coverage of losses. So, you know, if they had $200 billion of capital, more than they had before, then there wouldn't have been this need for the bailout of the entities as they were before. And that was definitely a bailout because say, there was no mechanism in place to say that they were buying some insurance, right? Well, that, let's be clear about that because that's, re that's really an interesting point. So if what you're proposing had been in effect in 2008, I think what you're saying is things would not have happened the way they happened, that there would have been enough cushion, enough of a shock absorption there to prevent at least Fannie and Freddie, maybe, you know, not, right. not so talking I, about everyone else. This probably, you know, the subprime market, you know, had its own problems and yes. this wasn't going to help that. Right. But Fannie and Freddie would have had enough capital mm -hmm. or enough reinsurance to cover the losses. So most people are talking about loss coverage, probably about double the experience of the 2000, uh, okay. 2008 time period. So okay. yeah and then so that's wrap and then right. the the fourth one is okay now we have these entities we have a functioning system but they're still in conservatorship. How should we spin these back out mm -hmm. into the market? And uh, so in my proposal I think they should be turned into mutual companies owned by the originators and the mutuals should um, own Fannie and Freddie. They should put up some capital based on how much they use of those entities. Um, and that those entities will um, basically fill the same functions that Fannie and Freddie are doing now, but they wouldn't become stockholder-owned companies. They'd become uh, mutual-owned companies. The uh, Zandi proposal uh, with his co-authors is almost exactly the same as mine up to this point, um, except that instead of being a mutual, they believe that it should become a government corporation. I see. So, that the, so it wouldn't be a government agency like... Uh, FHA would be more of a government corporation. FDIC, sort of an example of a government corporation. Um, and then other people have said these should, entities should become utilities. Or if you go to the back to the Johnson Crapo law, it would have said these entities should have become competitive guarantors. Mm -hmm. So at this point, we'd really be talking about differences in governance mm -hmm. of this residual entity. But I think any discussion along that line is a big step forward from saying let's shut them down uh -huh. and start all over again. Yeah. So what are the big benefits to all this from, from your point of view? You're, you're, you're pointing out, of course, that um, there'll be more of a cushion if there was some kind of meltdown. So that seems like a, a public good, <laughs> right? But also um, 
this is going to preserve the 30-year mortgage, which is um, really so important to, to Americans. And uh, they're, they're, they'd be very disappointed if somehow market conditions didn't allow that to continue. So does this accomplish that? Yes. Th- by, um, by creating the government wrap, it's really the essential yeah. ingredient mm-hmm. in order to continue the 30-year right. fixed-rate loan. Yeah, fixed there just really aren't investors who are willing to invest in mm-hmm. that kind of interest mm-hmm. rate risk mm-hmm. and also take on credit risk. And what the guarantee does is it just splits those two risks apart. Um, so, you know, certainly that's one important gar- um, advantage. Uh, another important advantage is that uh, a lot of people are very concerned about maintaining access to credit uh, t- in two different ways. One is that every borrower who is a qualified borrower and can you know, afford a loan over time should be given the opportunity to have a loan. And by having sort of a national entity, you can sort of have that national entity responsible for making sure there's people operating in every market. Uh, and so they, uh, preventing discrimination of some sort that's right. or another. Mm-hmm. You know, and just say, oh, this, you know, we don't serve this particular market because it's too far out of the way. Or, you know, a national entity can either do it itself or encourage the banks who are its members to say, you know, someone who needs mm-hmm. to serve this market. So is this addressing the idea of affordability? Is that the yeah, point? Yeah, so, so there's access and then there's affordability as well. And affordability is handled in several different ways. Like right now, Fannie and Freddie actually um, don't price each loan individually. There's some averaging of the risk. And so by averaging the risk, the people with the better credit actually subsidize to some degree the people with worse credit. So that helps with affordability. Uh, The other thing that most of the proposals have is some of the money that the government earns from providing the wrap goes into a fund that also directly supports affordable lending. Uh, Affordable in the sense of subsidized rates? Some sort of of subsidy. Some kind of subsidy. Okay. Okay. so, you know, another important part of uh, these proposals is uh, what happens to the profits that are made by Fannie and Freddie, right? So Fannie and Freddie made a lot of profits when they were private entities. So one of the exa- advantages of them being a mutual company is that if they're making a lot of profits, those profits go back to the owners who are also mortgage originators, and they're competitive. And so then that can feed back into lowering prices or lowering rates for borrowers. So if you move from sort of a competitive market where you have stockholders outside of the mortgage market to the stockholders inside the mortgage market, even if you do end up with monopoly profits, they recycle back into the system. But most mutuals- Is there a problem with diversification there, though, if everyone's sort of in the same family of the mortgage world um, versus in the past maybe shareholders were just interested in, a, in, in diversifying you know, and, and chose that as uh, you know, one of their investments? So, so, so one of the things that makes this work now is the existence of these credit risk sharing deals. And so, you know, I think about 75% of the risk that's created should be moved outside of this system. And so by using different bond structures or reinsurance structures, the credit risk doesn't all sit inside Fannie and Freddie. So it doesn't actually have to sit with those originators. Okay. So they're going to get other people to take that risk. So the diversification happens through the capital markets. Um, yeah, I think otherwise you would have this situation where it's like, you know, $200, 300000000000 billion worth of capital sitting at one or two entities. Right. And um, you would need to find a way yeah. of diversifying the shareholders. Well, a little the, too incestuous. The way. industry couldn't take on that much yeah. risk. Okay. Well, what on else? the other hand, you know, we do believe in skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And so to me, part of having the members also part of this mutual 
is that they are responsible jointly and severally for you know, the activities that they're creating. What else is it important to know about your proposal? Um, you, know, I, you know, I don't know whether or not it would happen, but you know, I think that there's a pretty clear pathway to get there. Um, like I say it doesn't require creating all new entities. Um, it just requires changing the ownership structure of existing entities. And uh, by doing that, it sort of takes us out of having a transition plan that lasts, you know, 10 or 20 years, which, you know, you, who knows what or would longer. happen. <laughs> or longer. Who yes. knows what would happen over the, that time horizon. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. With us. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.